Alrighty. When the politicians keep politicking before you turn to excessive drinking, spend some time collectively politinkering with the show where I don't know, man. Cause the truth is, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know, man. Hello, everyone out there in pod person land. It has been quite some time, uh, but we do have a bit of a special episode uh, for you today. I apologize. It is uh, uh, just me from the normal crew, Sean Faw here. Uh, uh, the other gents couldn't be joining us today, but we do have a very special guest in studio with us, uh, a longtime friend uh, that uh, you'll you'll kind of find out through the course of this that uh, anonymity does kind of need to be a, a little bit apart of this, so I might be skirting around some things I normally would just plow through. Um, but uh, a, a friend that is um, currently working with a uh, uh, drug counseling and homelessness in the LA area, and so we wanted to uh, really just kind of dig in a little bit to the, the broader concept of homelessness and what's going on and how we can address it and what we're doing now and just kind of, you know, let's fix it. So um, uh, first off, you know, uh, if you could just give us a little bit about, uh, you know, how, how did you come to be involved in the the homeless crisis as it is? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I um, for, First off, I love your... <laughs> your intro because I don't know is one of the smartest things anybody can say, uh, especially in uh, homeless services. Mm. Um, yeah. So I'm a substance abuse counselor. Uh, I work in outreach. I go to encampments. Um, you know, I go direct to folks on the street, you know, and just try to unblock them on their mm. goals, uh, whether it's housing, um, me being a substance abuse counselor, I, I try to focus a little bit more on that. So I'm able to, um, you know, uh, broker uh, Medicaid assistant treatment on the street, which is really incredible uh, mm. through the Department of Health. Uh, obviously, getting folks into treatment, getting them into rehab or detox, or just sitting down with them if they're in, you know, contemplation, as, yeah. they, as they say in substance abuse um, circles. Um, I am a certified counselor. I love my job. It's the best job I've ever had. Mm. And I got into it just... Um, you know, I'm a recovery person, mm. um, and I have been for about four years. And during that time, I was like the chief of staff at a tech company, um, which was great. Mm. And I just loved doing it because I didn't have to think about it. Like, <laughs> I could just go in and do legal and accounting and everything. But, you know, in recovery, like a lot of folks in recovery kind of end up working in mm. those circles, gotcha. right? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, kind of a little bit more of the unethical um, rehabs in the area that would, you know, especially a lot of the body broking, hmm. brokering um, rehabs that here you go, you're 90 days clean. Why don't you work for us now? Right. Mm, so gotcha. definitely want to stay away from that. <laughs> so, mm. um, and as you know, back is that in, almost like a pyramid scheme type of, yeah, there's some models of that. Okay. Um, I, ironically, you almost want to go to a place that takes Medi-Cal hmm. because they are, 
they're more strict, looked into and regulated. Hundred oh, percent. Gotcha. They're put under the microscope, and you also have a better opportunity for uh, for interesting programming. I think a lot mm. of guys um, that are counselors will go into a place like that that have better experience, and even though they would take a pay cut working at a place like that. Um, you're able to reach more people. You're able to do more things. Um, that's just my experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you transition or go from drug counseling into the more homeless aspect of it? Or is it, that just a natural progression? It, it, was, it was, I kind of fell into it. Yeah. I've, um, you know, I think, you know, I was on the street. I was, I owed money to a lot of our friends <laughs> and a lot of the people. <laughs> um, uh, people may not know this, but Sean... You know, Sean let me stay on his couch intermittently. I stole from him, uh, you know, and he was nice enough to retain our friendship with something I'm like really grateful for. Um, and a lot of our friends. Um, and so I was, you know, living out of my car in between a lot of um, couches that I would stay with, um, stay on. And so when I got into counseling, I kind of fell into this job where I was co-located counselor with a lot of homeless families at one of the biggest nonprofit homeless services agencies um, in Los Angeles, mm. and also one of the ones with the best track record. Right and I was like the substance abuse guy that was contracted through the county, and I would just sit down with folks, mm. and um, mostly families, and then I kind of branched out. People kept picking my brain on individuals and folks on the street. And then um, once my full certification came in, and I racked up all my clinical hours, the agency kind of poached me <laughs> from this county contract yeah, yeah. and asked me if I wanted to be on outreach and if I wanted to go out on the street. And that just really appealed to me. And when I sat down with them, um, I realized we're of the same mindset. So um, I don't know, just a lot of signs just kind of kept nudging me of getting out of the regular job market and getting into this. Like I, I love recovery. I love um, addressing behavior, mm. you know, um, I love change. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know where I would be without change. I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm the same person that I was four years ago, but my behavior is just completely, mm -hmm. you know, uh, flipped. So that's a little bit of a long way of, you know, saying like recovery really got me into this. Right on. You know. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it seems like a, a very uh, sort of common path for a lot of people in that right. work or that, that mm -hmm. line of work, essentially. And really everybody's in this job market for the money everybody in homeless services is there for the amazing pay yeah, yeah obviously <laughs> well i mean it, you know it's it's funny that you you know sort of sarcastically joke about that um mm -hmm. in the the uh you know uh cramming prep uh youtube videos i did for sure. this uh, yeah. uh this little uh thing that we're doing here um you know uh, a, a sort of common theme from i guess the mm -hmm. far right would mm -hmm. or not even the far right this is so, uh, something that is is, you know, kind of all around is that there is a lot of uh, uh, parasitical money to be made off of homelessness in general, and that there is almost a disincentive to solve it because of the industry that pops up around it. Is that something, I mean, you did kind of touch on the sort of pyramid schemes of mm. that happening. Is that something that you see uh, other than that? So. Well, th there's three parts to that. Mm -hmm. I'll address the last part first. Right. So with rehabs, um, you always got to be wary of rehabs that take like private insurance, especially okay. like private out-of-state insurance. Because a lot of the times what, um, and they're called six-bed facilities. Mm -hmm. You, you might have seen some of these around town, especially down in Costa Mesa in mm -hmm. Orange County, where, you know, you get a you get a quick license. It's not really that 
regulated, right? You're actually more beholden to the insurance than you mm-hmm. are to um, a lot of the state regulations, right? Uh-huh. Um, but you know, always be wary of places that only have six beds. You can buy a house in a residential neighborhood, mm. right? And just kind of convert it, put a uh, licensed therapist in there, a few counselors, do some <laughs> group counseling mm-hmm. and some food and a couple of beds. And they'll ship them in from a lot of the high opiate states like mm. West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana. Um, and they'll come here because a lot of these, re- a lot of the guys that own these rehabs, they'll go to conferences where they're swapping. Pri- they're like private insurance companies are almost pitching you, just like you would go to any trade show. Yeah, yeah. And like, hey, get um, you know this private insurance out of Ohio, and then we can be sending more people to you. And then guys come in um, to some of these six bed facilities, and who knows, they might sneak out get high then end up on the street right Man. so there's that um Qu- quickly yeah, there sure. just it, the this six bed facility is mm-hmm. this a um like a, a legal cap or something is there like a yeah. like you, so you get the certificate and the most beds you can have is six so there's just all these six bed facilities i type don't things. know all the minutiae of it right. i do know that it, like if you were able to pull there actually is a directory online of every rehab in in la county mm-hmm. right and a lion's share of them, it'll show you, like, here's how many beds they have, here's who holds the license, mm-hmm. here's who the parent company is. Gotcha. Right? And you can just reference it. It's all, yeah. you know, you can just, like, Google this. It's online. It's not that easy to find, but you can get it. Um, the only reason I know you can get it is that I was cross-referencing every <laughs> every rehab for more opportunities for, for my clients yeah, yeah. on where to place them. And I had to wade through pages and pages of six-bed facilities. So so this is almost like a franchise deal where you have, like, yeah. a corporation and then they, they yeah. just get one certified guy to be in that house or... Theoretically, yeah. Right. It, theoretically, that's the, that's the model. Mm-hmm. Um, I have limited experience with yeah, that yeah. because I'm not going to get a lot of folks on the street into one of those facilities. Sure, sure. What do they have? Blue Cross? Like, no way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but a lot of my friends that work in some of those facilities, they don't stay there very long. Gotcha. Right? And because you're kind of able to see the, you're able to read the tea leaves. Gotcha. But at the end of the day, recovery is recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So if it works, it's good. If it works, it works. Yeah. Um, I don't get uh, too much into the minutia there. I'm, and again, that's a little bit more adjacent to sure. what I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just addressing the money of mm-hmm. it all. So again, I'm a substance abuse counselor out on the street in the valley. I have a very narrow view of sure. homelessness in general. I'm very much an observer, especially right. with the housing of it all. Um, so here's here's the deal with the money. I don't see a lot of it. <laughs> okay, we uh, the outreach in general is statistically understaffed, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't see a ton of the money. Um, I know that I have a living wage. I have, I actually do have good benefits yeah, yeah. at the end of the day because you know you work for a nonprofit. Sure, right? sure. You you always get really good benefits. Um, but just addressing the money of it all, I see the times I do see the money coming in was especially for the Project Room Key program. Hmm. Um, if you're familiar with that, no. that is the oh, is that the going into the hotels or correct? Okay, correct. That I got to tell you, that has saved. I could not believe how stable some of our folks got hmm. uh, being into those, you know, hotels and motels, and it really was incredible. Like I saw a measurable change in Mm. some of our folks that were in there. I was able to get guys Suboxone 
in there, you know, try to get them. And some of them would even be there for like a few weeks. And, you know, and once your mental real estate stops thinking about shelter and safety, mm. right? If you go through like Maslow, sure, sure. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Hierarchy of needs. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's, it's such an elementary, you know, part of psychology. Um, but it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, you're able to think of higher level goals totally. when you're, so at the end of the day, like housing first, housing first, like just getting inside, even for me, a substance abuse counselor, like I still kind of have a housing first mentality in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, but again, I'm not a person out on the street trying to get people housed. I'm trying to figure out what they want. Yeah. So as far as, but just getting back to the money of it all, mm-hmm. um, all I know is that the state of California basically gave money to to stimulate all of these hotels and motels to house the homeless, mm. right? And that it's been extended and extended and extended. And the more money coming in, like the more we're able to extend. Um, but this is all a uh, a result of COVID, right? None of this was happening pre-COVID. Uh, oh my God. I, it's so funny how, I mean, I shouldn't say it's funny. It's a miracle how much COVID has, actually, has helped my uh, job. Um, weirdly, I, I've had COVID outbreaks in my encampments. Mm. Um, I just had to find a patient zero the other day who went rogue <laughs> from, you know, we admitted them to the hospital for some issue. They turned out to have COVID. And then <laughs> we heard about it. Me and my whole team had to find this person. I'm also part of a multidisciplinary team, which is myself, a mental health professional, and then um, uh, health department contracted like COVID response team, right? Where we would actually go out and test folks for COVID, mm. right? And what's good there is that, you know, you're testing folks for COVID. If they want it, we can always talk about other stuff, right? Which, yeah, is, yeah. which is always a good thing. It's a um, gateway or a door opening. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's just an opening for a conversation yeah, yeah. like you would anybody else. So um, it's also like putting you on the footing of being there to help rather than to- 100%, yeah. yeah. Um. But anyway, getting back to the money of it all, the only thing that I can tell you as a general principle is, you know, nobody's making a ton of money off of this from what I see. Mm. Um, The only people I can imagine, and again, this is just, I try to like even stay away from the politics of it all, but, you know, real estate development at the end of the day. It's, you know, real estate development is, has has the potential to have nefarious you know, fleecing of funds. Obviously everybody has to make money. And obviously like the housing issue is only solved through more homes. That is it. There is no cure for homelessness besides more homes. So uh, when people talk about the drugs and the mental health and the healthcare system and people coming in from out of state and like all of these other issues, they, they lose focus of you know, if I'm hungry, the cure for that is a sandwich, right? <laughs> and if I'm homeless, the cure for that is a home. Um, so that is the most simple way to put it. Because even, like I said, even with housing first, if somebody has a housing goal, but I know that they're doing meth, mm. I'll work with them on their housing goal, right? And just keep gauging them. I'm not in this job to, you know, quote unquote, get people sober. Um, that's not my... That's not my primary purpose. My mm. primary purpose is to reflect what people are saying to me back to them and unblocking them on what they really need, especially as it relates to recovery, right? Mm. And you get back to your theme song, 
And again, I'm not a housing expert, but I always tell people, listen, I don't know, but I have a lot smarter people at our agency that will be able to demystify a lot of the housing for you. Um, gotcha. So, uh, yeah. Well, the, the, I guess, though, the one big objection I keep hearing to just the housing first policy is the the uh, the maintenance that's required. The yeah. the the uh, like, uh, you know, if you just put homeless people in all of these vacant houses mm-hmm. that do exist and you just leave them there to their own devices, are they going to be worse off? Is that going to destroy the neighborhood that it's in? Is uh, that hundred percent? I mean, okay. you you can't say you're not dealing with the population without behavioral issues, right? On. Okay, I mean that's that, that goes without saying. Yeah. The you know, but you'd actually be surprised how few people um, actually have a lot of those issues. A lot of the folks on the street, um, in my experience, only about half the folks on the street have mental health and. Um, substance use issues, okay. right? Really? Yeah, a hundred percent. Obviously, if somebody doesn't have those issues in an acute manner, mm. of course they have anxiety, which you you can would be diagnosable, right? Yeah. Is that a word? Diagnosable? Yeah, I believe be so. able to be diagnosed. Yeah. yeah. Man, it just shows you how dumb I am. Um, <laughs> You're the one with the degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, but I mean, that's just my experience. I'm seeing more elderly folks on the street. Mm. Um, I'm seeing more pregnant women on the street. Hmm. Oh my God. I I cannot believe how many pregnant clients I've gotten in the last few months. It's wild. Um, I guess completely uh, uh, tangential. Mm-hmm. How uh, Do you have any concept of how much of that is the pregnancy following being on the street or the pregnancy causing being on the street? I don't know. I think uh, the, from, from what my clients have been telling me, they were on the street before they got pregnant. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a whole... Uh, obviously you're dealing with one of the most complex situations yeah. of clients on the street. I mean, there's so many, you know, health, m- mental health, uh, substance use issues to deal with there. But um, just getting back to the stabilization of it all mm-hmm. with folks, um, I don't, I don't have a housing model in my orbit that doesn't have some sort of stabilization on site. Gotcha. The way that it works, at least in my world is the new, um, may like one of the darlings of Los Angeles is something called a bridge home, hmm. which is basically a shelter on steroids, okay. right? Where instead of like rows of old school cots mm-hmm. and just like yeah, yeah. get throwing them in there and having an RA making sure nobody gets out of line, you have you know a cost effective facility almost like NASA did with you know like Apollo 13 or the toaster rovers on Mars, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing a lot with a little. And you'll have, for instance, you know, a male uh, and a female side of it. Um, You have like little cubicles, right? And storage on site. But the most important thing is you have housing navigators. You have case managers on site. You do have security. They do practice harm reduction. So if you use heroin and you got some gear, like they have a locker outside, like just don't bring it in. Mm. Grab it when you walk out. We don't, we we just want to like, try to stabilize you. Um, Now that is a great model for me because getting people into next level housing, you have to put a lot of irons in the fire, right? And Mm. it takes a long time. I have a guy that got approved for permanent supportive housing, which is basically a free apartment with medical staff on site that you can just treat like Starbucks. Mm. If you want to use the medical staff, if you want supportive services, you can use them and they're great. But 
I have someone that got approved for that off the street, and it's still taking months yeah. of bureaucratic paperwork. Um, and if somebody doesn't have a social security card, you can imagine yeah, yeah. like the hoops you have to jump through and how long you have to wait to get that social security card. So when you're talking about throwing folks into just housing in general mm-hmm. without any type of supportive services, I that's not even in my scope. Gotcha. Um, I don't even deal with that. A bridge home model is a good first step. The second I get folks in there, either myself or their housing navigator on site is trying to get them out of there. Right. Is, is a bridge home more like a, like a hostel, like a, a, like smaller rooms, shared bathroom sort of situation? Yeah. Yeah. So it's shared bathrooms, you know, like, let's say, uh, I think one of the bridge homes that I send a lot of folks to and refer them are, if I'm right, I think it's like 10 showers, uh, like individual shower uh, mm. spots for 50 people. Gotcha. Right? And that, but again, I'm just like ballparking yeah, yeah. this. Um, but, you know, laundry on site, yeah, yeah. three meals a day. You get to use the computer for employment services. You can mm. get your benefits done. <clears throat> people on site. Um. God, we got to have that cough button like they have in the, in the baseball booths. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, it, it's on the list. <laughs> um, but getting back to uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of, uh, I guess, you you talked, I was a little bit surprised to hear that you said that uh, only about 50% was was drug and, and mental illness. Yeah. What, what, I know there's tons of answers mm-hmm. to this, but what sure. would you say are like some of the main root causes of homelessness then? Capitalism. Seriously? Yeah. Like just straight Absolutely. up? Absolutely. And I blame the neighbors. Like I mean, just literally that rent is too damn high? Uh, listen, okay. In my neighborhood, okay, I live in as cookie cutter a San Fernando Valley <laughs> neighborhood yeah. as you can get, right? Little boxes I, made of ticky tack. I, I, would, I would say one out of four of my neighbors are remodeling their homes. Mm. Okay. All of these neighbors, but I, I have to tell you the biggest resentment I have in my job are the freaking neighbors. I have people running out in the street at me, screaming at me that I'm not giving people services literally as I'm talking to someone on the street, giving them services. Mm. If you go to one of these town hall meetings or neighborhood council meetings, yeah, yeah. it is there is more mental illness with these neighbors than there are in my client load. It is wild, the behavioral issues. Uh, people that are just screaming, uh, mm. like into the darkness, yeah. about about this issue. Um, so yeah, my whole thing is you're remodeling your kitchen. You are accelerating the price of your home in a neighborhood that is maybe even lower middle class, especially mm. in the San Fernando Valley. And you're raising the property value around you exponentially. But then you're complaining about folks on the street, right? And uh, obviously, there's substance use issues. There's mental health issues. There's people coming in from out of state. That's all a part of it, obviously. Like, you you can't deny that. But from what I see is living in uh, Los Angeles for 11 years, living in the San Fernando Valley for nine years, Mm -hmm. okay? And... I see how you can look on Zillow and just see the housing Man. prices go up and apartment. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I have a lot of folks uh, just the other day, somebody that works full time is asking me to get them into a shelter. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I'm just like, so you work full time. Yeah. What do you do? I'm a mechanic. Yeah. 
you know? And so, so, but you also have to, so just getting back to the 50% of it, Mm -hmm. right? So I say that because like, even if somebody is using meth, right? Let's say I have a single woman out on the street that is using meth, Mm -hmm. um, but does not exhibit any signs of an acute dependence or abuse. Okay. You have to think like, you know, here's a single woman on the street. She doesn't have anyone in her life to like really protect her. This person has to stay hyper vigilant. Uh, yeah, a lot of the times. Yeah. I I don't have too many single women in my caseload that hasn't been assaulted in some way. Yeah. Right. And that's just you know, it's kind long of a fact of living on the street. Right. And yeah. let's say they at one point lived in um you know Santa Clarita and they were in a shelter up there and they got assaulted up there in an old school type of shelter. Mm. Right. And I'm offering them like a first step to get off the streets. The only currency I have is trust, yeah. right? And if the person doesn't trust me, they're going to be like, no, I'm not going to be going into that yeah, facility. I tried that system. I, I've already tried that already. system. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And what am I going to tell them? No, you're wrong. No, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to... I don't make commission off of getting people into the shelter. I'm no. not going to tell somebody, you need to do this or you should be doing this. So just getting back to the 50% of it all, you know, you got to put everything into context. Like a lot of it is environmental. So, I mean... I, I'm I'm dealing with a person that developed an alcohol dependence because of the anxiety out on the street, right? That we're kind of dipping our toe in the water in recovery because mm-hmm. this environmental factor contributed to a developed alcoholism, yeah. right? Where, you know, being very upfront with me, um, they're like, listen, I didn't have a drinking issue three years ago, yeah. right? Um, but- what am I going to do? Tell somebody not to drink to decrease your anxiety living out on the street? No, yeah. of course not. All I'm going to do is, you know, reflect what they're telling me about their behavior. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like things are unmanageable and then, you know, gauge them on what their goals are yeah, and yeah. as it relates to recovery. So, um, so when I say substance abuse issues, I'm, I'm really talking about people with chronic substance use issues um, or, you know, uh, a diagnosable substance use disorder like yeah, from, yeah. The, from the um, DSM, the, you know, mental health manual. Yeah. Yeah. But just, I guess, based on, you know, your uh, um, dealings with these people, how much of that, uh, that drug connection is that chicken and egg? How much of it came so before? Tough. Okay. It's so tough. I mean, that's society too. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Um, you, well, I, not I, to trivialize yeah. it, but like just no. talking from my own experience, yeah. uh, uh, I lived in Alaska for a while and right. I was like, I, I, you know, I could be considered homeless, but it was yeah. like homeless by choice essentially. Yeah. So, you know, I was living on a, a sinking World War II boat and and, you know, the bathroom was a mile and a half away and, you know, all sorts of, you know, things that would be considered, you know, a, a normal living on the streets. I situation. totally, by, just to interrupt you, I totally remember that. The <laughs> wild stories that came out of that. Have you done an episode on that? I, I've, you've With ta- our buddy? No, no, no. <laughs> I got to tell you, you should phone our buddy yeah. that was out on the boat with you. Um, <laughs> one, because I would love to hear them just in general. Uh, but two, I... Just, I would love to listen to two hours of that whole thing because I totally remember that from 20 years ago. Just listening to what you guys didn't you get shamed for running your car at one point? Oh, that was in Canada. That was but, in Canada. Yeah, sorry, we're little... totally getting off topic here. Um, uh, but what I was getting at though yeah. is when I was, you know, essentially homeless by choice. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not a drinker, but right. I started drinking. Hundred <laughs> like, yeah. percent. You know, it's just right. there's you know there's not much else to do. What? So yeah. like you know your entire world just kind of collapses, and it's it, it, you hit the nail on the head. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else are you gonna do? And you know, and just just to sidetrack a little bit more, you were just talking about being out there by choice. Mm. A lot of folks are out on the street by choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to just living out on the street. You don't have any rent. You don't have anybody really telling you what to do. The man with nothing is the most free. Yeah, 100%. And and maybe the cops come around and bug you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I come around and bug you a little bit and get in your business. But, you know, a lot of people just tell me to F off. They're like, I don't want anything. Just, you know, get out of here. And I'm like, fine, you know, Hmm. Um, which is fine. And that's what something that's something a lot of people don't understand is. Some folks do want to be on the street. I would not say a majority. Yeah. Okay. Um, at what all. would you? What a percentage would you kind of pull out of your ass? I don't know. I I would say ballpark. It also depends on the encampment. Yeah, Some encampments sure. have you know are communities, and mm. a lot of them are like minded. So if you know, like there's there's one encampment that are considered the troublemakers out in this zone, mm. right? As they call it, um, in my zone, right, right. in my area, and. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're some of my favorite people, but they are slamming so much dope at this encampment. Mm-hmm. It is wild. Um, I, there's a lot of opportunities for me there. I've gotten a lot of guys into recovery um, solutions, some on methadone, some on Suboxone, some I just talked to. And then there's other encampments that are very aggressive toward me and don't want anything to do with homeless services, either mm-hmm. because they got burned or, you know, I can't say everybody's had a good experience with the homeless services. I can never say that. What is um, the organizational structure of these encampments? Is- it's yeah, it's 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 funny you say that. It's it obviously it differs mm-hmm. um each one. There are some encampments that a lot of the I guess you would call it higher functioning ones that I mean, you'll see a living room in mm. in some of them where they just have like a coffee table and chairs. Well, yeah, um, yeah, it's funny you meant. Like, yeah. So uh, I just happened to be watching They Live uh, a couple yeah. of months ago. God, I love that movie. Great movie, but like the um, almost the foresight that it has about like the time that we're living in right now. I gotta watch just, that again. It it's is such a good movie. Yeah, the the it kind of uh, it centers around like this sort of. Um, uh, economical economic mm-hmm. collapse of homelessness. So sure. it's, it's a lot of like middle class homeless encampment sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But it, you know, it has this like hierarchy God, totally structure of that. like, yeah, there's, um, yeah, it was just something that struck me wow. as like, that's almost kind of what we're seeing in some of these places. But I realized there's a lot more drug and mental instability that 100%. isn't perceived there. I, I, I can tell you right now, the hierarchy collapses on a lot of encampments when I get the dealer into treatment. Oh, shit. So I, that actually- that, Are they the ones that like kind of keep it in line? I, you because know, you're, you're- The you're, enforcer? Yeah, well, I don't know about enforcer. I, You know, there's none of that. I actually don't have- uh, I know some of the guys in some of the gangs in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very respectful toward me, mm-hmm. but they're not mixed in with the encampments, okay. really. Uh, I've only seen that twice. And- so there's not like there's like an enforcement or anything like that going on on the but like on the higher functioning encampments you know quote unquote higher yeah, yeah, functioning sure. right it's just it's a community and you usually see like a maternal fig- figure there hmm. but in some of the um you know quote unquote troublemaker <laughs> encampments where I'm the only one to go in there hmm. because all I want to do is deal with folks that are either on probation or doing drugs or right you know drinking all day um those encampments you usually have somebody dealing in that encampment um 
that is not necessarily gang affiliated, but is just, you know, the just the dealer. And then I recently got one of those dealers housed and they changed everything. Hmm. So, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. I haven't checked in with them in a while. Um, but they went into a facility that was uh, not a facility, a um um housing, mm. right? That had stabilizers, that had case managers, all that, whole nine yards. Um, and the encampment did start to thin out a little bit mm. uh by about half. Oh. Um so as far as like hierarchy, it's um it's interesting because it differs from encampment to encampment and um you know, but I, again, I have one encampment that is very aggressive toward me, um, which is fine, you know, and kind of aggressive toward homeless services in general. And that just might be like-minded folks, hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Um, I'm not going to force a relationship on anybody. Almost like neighborhoods are forming with their own personalities. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, you don't want to be next to somebody that you don't trust and is not like-minded to you, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the same token, if you're not using, you don't want to be living next to somebody that that is actively using usually. Yeah. Um, or at least using it in a manageable fashion, mm. which means, you know, chronically, um, you know, violence popping up around them. Um, somebody just got shot at one of my encampments for just a very small bag. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's pretty sad. They didn't die, but I mean they yeah. you know. It's still pretty sad. Um Well speaking of that, yeah. like um what uh well first uh, how long have you been dealing with uh, the homeless on the street specifically? Mm. Well, I've been dealing with the homeless population in general for only two years. Okay. And I've only been on outreach for about eight months. Okay. But, I mean, I'm already entrenched in the community, every single agency. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my, know, my question yeah. was kind of leading into like, um, sure. uh, how much change have you seen in this sort of COVID environment? Have you seen a vast increase of, you know, economic refugees essentially, or? I, I've only seen an increase in services. Okay. I have not specifically encountered anybody that has so far been displaced because of COVID. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of those folks are part of family units, and that's a totally different set of services. Yeah, yeah. So with families, families are very much prioritized okay. um, in homeless services. Um, By family, you just mean someone with kids, essentially? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, somebody with kids. Um, and somebody in that type of situation— But like a husband and wife wouldn't be prioritized as a family, would they? No, not no, they're that. not considered a family. Okay. Um, like, to give you an example— um, Pregnancy in its third trimester is considered a family. Oh shit! Yeah. But not until third. Yeah, wild. That's what. That's how it was explained to me. I I have not investigated that. Wow. All I could do was process the information and go on to my yeah, next yeah, totally. 200, 200 clients. Um, but the yeah, but families are prioritized. So when I was dealing with families, just as a counselor, right? Um, you know, this is before COVID. Mm. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, there were still people losing their jobs. Yeah, certainly. Um, and people that were just displaced because um, yeah. of a shady landlord right, right. or- But there's um, still rent moratoriums and a lot of oh my things gosh. that are kind of keeping people yeah. from falling oh yet. God, landlords. I mean, I, I don't know how some of our housing stabilizers and navigators deal with it. I, I just, just hearing some of the stories about landlords is just shocking. Um, but so just to let you know, so in, in those situations, I my thinking is a lot of the folks that have lost their jobs because of COVID- um, that end up on the street, or at least are in uh, jeopardy of being on the street. You go to a solu- what is called a solutions center for mm. families, okay. and you go there, and a they problem solve. You know, just 
engaging you to think of things you may not have thought of, right? For instance, um, okay, let's look at your extended family. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a brother uh, in Nevada, but I can't get out there, right? Yeah. Um, And I know I could reunite with them as long as I had moving costs. Mm -hmm. So, and again, this is just an example. Yeah. An agency might either pay for the moving costs or Mm -hmm. at least match a portion of the moving costs, something like that. If it's a family reunification, like we want to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's in it's within LA, outside of LA, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then separately, you know, there's also what is called rapid rehousing, right? Which is a program that I don't deal with very often. Um, because my my folks have to have exponential success rates, right? Mm. To get into the shelter, get into interim housing, right? Um, then get in, then get a job and then rapid rehousing is a program in which, okay, you got this much income, even under the table income. Mm. A lot of the people take that into account, um, which is usually totally manageable. If you get, you know, a hundred bucks in cans, you know, totally. uh, daily, like what are you going to do? Like produce receipts for that? Like, yeah. come on, like you're going to take that into account if you're a navigator. Um, and then it would be like an agency might pay for the deposit, First month's rent, and let's say 30% of the rent from then on gotcha. for an extended period of time. Um, so, yeah. yeah I yeah. was uh, uh, recently uh, without a car for quite some time, yeah. and uh, I uh, took a few bus rides, uh, which were uh, pretty informative, actually. Yeah. Um, I don't engage people in public, but sometimes <laughs> I'll turn off my earbuds and listen to the conversations that are happening around me. Yeah. And um, I happen to be listening to a couple of homeless gentlemen kind of just discussing yeah. the current situation. And one of them, uh, I guess just a couple days before this bus ride, had gotten himself into one of these uh, apartment situations. Mm-hmm. And he was just ecstatic about yeah. you know the fact that he had been on the street for on and off for the last 10 years and you know he finally had somewhere that was you know actually a place to call home and instead of living under the uh under the bridge in the tent and he didn't seem like he was a drug guy he seemed like you know a normal you know one of my friend's dads Mm -hmm. or something that was just you know in a hard place um the the other kind of conversation i heard on there was something we kind of already discussed but they those two uh uh homeless gentlemen seem to think that there was a bit of nefariousness to some people like you. Mm. Um, they, they mention things like they get, they get a free phone, they get a free car. They don't really care how many people they place. They just are, you know, out there making, you know, if they get one person in a week or, you know, take care of someone that they you know, they, I, they still get paid. I'd be lying if I, if I said I haven't heard stories about mm. people doing wild stuff in yeah. homeless outreach services. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, uh, like my supervisor has been doing it for 20 years and mm. she's told me stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, some of them are shocking. Well, there's grifters in all sorts oh of aspects God. of yeah. Yeah, society. Um, you grifted me to come on this podcast <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, no. I was guilted. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love this. I, I love talking about this. It's, um, But yeah, I, I mean, that is, uh, I'm never going to argue with somebody. Yeah, I'm yeah. never going to say, I'm never going to plead innocence. Yeah, yeah. But again, like I said, the only currency I have is trust. Yeah. If somebody poisoned that well, I have to accept it. Right and I'm not going to force a relationship. You know, I, my, 
profession as a substance abuse counselor, not even as much as outreach. You you really it's kind of an old you know counseling term, but rolling with resistance, hmm. right? Is is what they call it. It's very much. Um, you know, if you Google Miller motivational interviewing, you'll see some of these old school like counseling sessions okay. where, you know, you're you're essentially, you know, quote unquote, meeting people where they're at. And, you know, if they're resisting you, just acknowledge it, make space for it. And then, you know, just, you know, try to engage them to imagine what's blocking them from getting exactly what they want. Hmm. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, something you might not even think of or even assumed will be coming up. Um but yeah, as yeah, as far as the you know nefarious things goes with trust, that is the only way I can really establish trust is to just roll with resistance, right? If somebody's slamming dope in front of me, I'm not going to tell them not to slam dope in front of me, mm. right? The only time I ever did that was somebody asked me, "It's like I gotta go. I, we got to make the call. I gotta go into treatment." I go. You know, and that's like the best. That mm. is just the best. I don't have to do anything right. but just dial the phone. Yeah, I'm. So- I'm sitting there with this person and they're gearing up their dope, right? And I have to put them on the phone in like two minutes to talk to this intake person. And I said to them, I'm like, we're, we're, you're getting on the phone in two minutes. You can't just, and it's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Be- and, and just a, almost and, force a habit. Like, force a habit, exactly. Yeah. I caught them about 20 minutes after they woke up, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and it, but because they, they even acknowledge it. They're like, God, I wasn't even thinking it was, yeah. you know, I, I'm like, you're going to get on the phone. Yeah. Um, Again, not to trivialize it, but yeah. uh, uh, that is the same addiction I see with cell phones. Yeah. Uh, you know, any sort of minute or moment that people yeah. have of like, uh, you know, non-engagement or perceived mm-hmm. boredom, yeah. that phone comes out to fill that hole. So very I assume so. there's a, almost a, just a human need for that at this yeah. point. Yeah, like, very much so. A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially with COVID. Yeah. We're being isolated from folks. Um, you know, TikTok has risen exponentially, um, because of that. And it's, if you've been isolated from connection, um, and you have this outlet, uh, to connect with folks, um, you're, you're going to want to, um, glom onto that. Yeah, yeah, I was on a an actual live film set for the first time in like a year, a few weeks ago. Wow! And I just realized, like, oh my god, I forgot how to like talk to people or yeah, like engage right. with humanity. One hundred percent. And it's it's what because you're obviously you're not the first person to tell me that. Yeah. Um, my you know my fiance and I, we've been steady working through mm. the through the pandemic. Yeah. I'm socializing more. Yeah, totally. Than I ever have in my life, not only with the folks on the street, but. You know, I deal with a spider web of agencies, mm-hmm. right? Uh, either through the county or you know through other nonprofits, and you know in our huge organization. Man. So I haven't had that. And then you know, just like texting or talking with people, um, <laughs> it is, um, you know, so, you know, there's there's two very good friends of ours. I can tell you how like, <laughs> they are. They're unemployed at the moment, and. You know, one of them who you know very well, it's just, I mean, calling me like like three days a week. It's hilarious Um, because, uh, you know, they just have three kids and Mm -hmm. they're just home and 
uh, you know, chilling, just collecting the yeah. the, the dole and yep. uh, their partners working. Um, uh, I'm an, I'm unemployed and uh, I have yeah. my cat, and so yeah. I have a chat room that is just kind of constantly <laughs> up. But uh, uh, getting into some of the other things you you kind of addressed there, mm-hmm. uh, we started talking about like what some of the current solutions are. Sure. What what do you where do you perceive that? Like, there's been a lot of news about the uh, the tiny home thing that has been kind of popping right. up. Um, do you have you seen any progress with that? Like one thing I've ranted about on this show previously is uh, something you brought up earlier is the real estate development stuff. The idea that like, uh, I think it was like two years ago or something, they were trying to put together some low cost housing and the best they could do was $500,000 for a single unit. Like it, you know, the numbers are just absolutely astronomical. Well, last part first, (laughs) the, no, no, I'm so glad you brought this up. The last part first, um, a lot of the and my my agency that I work for does development, okay. right? They do real estate development. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, it's for permanent supportive housing. Mm. These are these are for high risk folks that need supportive services, just like you're talking about, gotcha. like on the stabilization side. It's not just throwing so folks that's into a more apartment. like a nursing home situation. Well, I mean, or... like, like I said, like it's kind of like Starbucks. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. for folks that are. Getting into the solution as far as like mental health and physical health goals, um, but some of them might be senior citizens, some of them might have a chronic health condition, mm. um, but it's not not a nursing home by any means. Oh. It's more an like a dorm situation. Exactly, okay. it's, it's like an apartment. Well, you get your own apartment. Oh, it's like okay with supportive services on site. Okay, gotcha. Right? So you there's like an the, office downstairs you go to if you need to. Hundred percent. Gotcha. Uh, that has case manager, uh, very much like the ABH, uh, the bridge home model mm. that I was talking about with the shelters. There's kind of a version of that in a lot of this permanent supportive housing where, like, you'll have somebody from, uh, you know, you'll have a. You know, a case manager on site that can coordinate a lot of the mental health folks that you're already engaged with, mm. uh, get to your doctor's appointments, everything like that. So the agency that I work for focuses on that, right? And building, just building 50 units, though, yeah. is a long, arduous oh, task. In California, building anything is Oh, ridiculous. my gosh. My, my hip pocket solution for this was always to hire 10 times more building inspectors. Because mm. I feel like- Is the that only, the, the, the slow- The only thing anybody waits on mm. that's holding up this whole process are inspectors. Gotcha. And these inspectors are pulled in every direction. Beca- and again, this is a dumb, dumb talking, mm. right? This is just a, you know, some mook on the street, <laughs> you know, that's getting guys into rehab. Um, but my whole thing is like, you have a 50-unit spot in an affordable area that is being built. There's a great plan. Everybody's on board with it. And everybody's sitting on their hands waiting on inspectors, mm. right? And then, you know, there's all these blockages that nobody talks about. Yeah. That, you know, everybody talks about, you know, one, they talk about the folks on the street like vermin, yeah. right? So there's that whole thing Certainly. that we have to attack the issue, right? And not that they're human beings. And then two, everybody likes to talk about drugs as though drugs have never existed in America <laughs> before. And, you know, talk about mental illness as though Ronald Reagan didn't take a chainsaw to mental health services right, right. 30 years ago. Um, everybody's talking about all this other stuff instead of all the logistical things that's blocking all of this. You know, you talk about money, it's like just pour, just divert a lot of the money or create more funds for all of the things that are blocking building these places, yeah. right? Um, so there's that. So, um, and then... Um, what was the first part of the question again? I forgot. No idea. I forgot. <laughs> I for- oh yeah, the tiny homes. Yeah, yeah the yeah. tiny homes. Sorry. So I, so coincidentally, I w- myself got 
the lion's share of the folks into the newest tiny homes mm. in the valley. Oh, right on. Um, so uh, it came, you know, this is a lot of agencies include, you know, as well as the council district, right? Mm. In this one community that has a very dense um, population of folks on the street, right? Now, the model works very similar to a bridge home shelter, right? Where you have supportive services on site, you get three meals a day. Um, there is like shared individual showers and bathrooms and everything, but, you know, connection to mental health services, connection to, you know, case management, like help you out with logistical stuff like benefits, you know, whatever. Um, it's in, it's right by the Metro. So you have a very convenient, um, you know, transportation, um, Mm -hmm. solution right there. And then, um, you know, the whole thing is I've seen them. I think it's good for now, um, but the second I get somebody in there, I want them out of there. Mm. Um, That's y- not a long-term solution. It's it's not a long-term solution. People like it because you get privacy, yeah, yeah. right? Privacy, we, we take it for granted. Oh. Um, you know, some of the guys at the, you know, for getting into the bridge home shelters, um, they don't want to go in anymore because of, you know, some of the outbreaks they've had. Yeah. And there's only, you cannot have enough diligence um, short of everyone on site wearing hazmat suits and not get some kind of outbreak. You just yeah. can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, not even just COVID, just anything. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was flu season too. Right on. So, so there was quarantine on some of these sites and they have to be strictly regulated and under quarantine when something comes up. But that's happened at a few bridge homes. And of course it gets out. People don't want to go in. They're like, I'm on the street. I'm safe from COVID. Why would I go into a shelter right now? So the other advantage of the tiny homes thing is that you're you're getting shelter and you're a little more safe from being exposed to COVID. Um, So there's that. The flip side of it, just in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, I'm always putting myself in their shoes. I'm like, okay, if if I've been on the street and I finally just get a roof over my head, even though it's eight by eight, you get your own circuit breakers. Even, you know, you have your own power source, you have heating, air conditioning, um, supportive staff on site. I might not want to leave. Yeah. Right. And in my head, I might think this is as good as it's going to get. Right. So that's why I always have to reinforce to folks like, okay, listen, this is a step. This is, I, I feel like this is old, better than nothing. Yeah. Right. Um, which is also my nickname. (laughs) Better than nothing, um, and but that's that's my whole thinking on it. But again, it's so new; I, I don't know what's going to happen over there. And if people don't like it, you know, the only thing I can do is advocate for them. Um, I'm not going to try to convince people to like stay there if they mm-hmm. don't want to. The only thing I can tell them is here's here's the progress you've made as I see it. Um, and I think a lot of it is a result of these, uh, you know, of being sheltered at right. the end of the day. Um, but yeah, so far it's it's experimental, it's new, a couple of places are doing it all over the country. It is not a permanent solution. Mm. Permanent housing is the goal, right? Mm. And for for most of my clients and you know, for that have recovery goals, in the first week, I already had, you know, um, you know, my clients already talking about recovery, already talking about Medicaid assistant treatment. I could not believe it. Like mm. it was wild. Um, cause they're like, I'm inside. I really want to do this yeah, now. Yeah. Right. So all of the months the of possibilities tr- start opening hundred yeah. percent, all the months of trust building, 
all the months of telling them what's available to them as far as recovery goes and that it has the potential to open up more more doors for stabilization and housing they're now coming to me you know which is doesn't always happen mm. um and doesn't happen that quickly in these numbers before so um that's the only way that's the only thing i can speak to but yeah tiny, the whole tiny homes model is not a permanent solution if you want to be you know a gypsy in scandinavia and have one <laughs> of the ti- tiny homes like on the reddit threads great right. go go do that yeah, yeah. um but that should be a choice, not your, uh, right. <laughs> I, you know, it should be your only option. Yeah. Um. So that's, that's what I see from my perspective. So it's funny that you brought that up because I'm, yeah, I, I got a ton of people into that new one. And then there's another one opening up um, within the next year and we'll see how it goes. How um, many units was the last one? I forget how many units it was 39. Um, Oh God! Like it was either thirty-nine spaces and thirty beds, okay. with like some uh, ADA, some disability units in there yeah. as well. Um, is that but, like some family units then? Like two? Not, no, not families. Families oh. um, are not. This is for individuals. Oh, okay, gotcha. So families, like you're, you're just talking about two totally different orbits, gotcha. right? And a lot of the folk. If I have a guy that's under forty, right, mm. and you know that's there's not too many issues going on. Uh, in the eyes of the public and in homeless services, unfortunately, somebody in good health, male, under 40, yeah. is not necessarily prioritized. They should get a right? job. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I have a couple of those clients, and I want to honor them when they're hitting their goals, mm. right? And um, I'm, I'm not, you know, but if it's a choice between, if I have a day and I have two emergencies, and one of them is a is a pregnant person yeah, yeah. and the other one is you know a young male mm-hmm. uh need, you know needing something i unfortunately i have to triage my priorities sure, sure. that day and and jump into and that's the reality of yeah, it yeah. and it sucks uh, what would you yeah. say is the the common demographic then of the tiny home situation oh it's mixed okay. it's mixed and that there's a reason for that okay. it's because and it's all like here's the thing like the county and other agencies trust people like me to make the choice of prioritizing who needs to be prioritized. Right. right? So the, our thinking, and again, I, I can only speak for myself. My thinking is who will benefit most from being in here. And those decisions are made by you guys on the street. Essentially. Like what Uh I do is I, you know, I look at my client list and they have it by catchment areas. Right. So each shelter has, you know, maybe a five mile radius or a three mile radius or two mile radius. So I have to think of all my clients in that area, in that bubble, and I have to say, okay, one, who would want to go in, right? And then just start pitching it to folks like, hey, what do you think about this? Have you heard about this? What are your thoughts? Like, is this something you would want to do? And then of the folks that would want to get in, okay, who are my senior citizens? Who are the ones that are disabled? Who has chronic health conditions? Who are the single women, right? Yeah, yeah. And then- Most at risk, most- Yeah, most at risk. I have to think about who's most at risk, but also- one who wants to go in, right? Because yeah, I might have somebody in a wheelchair that's like, uh-uh, not into it. Right on. Um, which is fine. Yeah. I'm not gonna, you know, um, I might nudge them to go to the clinic for something, but <laughs> you know, because that's just like, oh my gosh. Uh, when somebody has a chronic health condition and they're not getting medical help, yeah. I, I get like, I'm like, oh my gosh, there is a clinic down the street that would love <laughs> to see you. Um, 
but I mean, that's, you know, that's not exclusive to folks on the street. Yeah, I know, oh, I know grown men. And, yeah. I never go to the doctor. Oh my God, you're <laughs> killing me. Oh my God. So anyway, uh, so anyway, well, maybe we'll do another podcast about self-care. Um, <laughs> the, um, um, but yeah, so there's that. But if I have somebody on probation for six months that is also engaged in mental health services and is getting medicaid assistant treatment and is starting to get employable and is having employment goals mm. i might put them in because i know that they would get out quickly gotcha right yeah so i also have to think about that mm. like turnover rate right and mm. there i'm i'm really going to tell you how the sausage is made Please. right here yeah. now so there is a you can imagine homeless services is a big like I said, spider web of bureaucracy, mm -hmm. right? You have county agencies, you have, and not only in the county, you have like uh, mental health agencies, public health agencies, you know, and then there is LASA, who you've probably heard about in the press. They are the overreaching homeless services agency, okay. right? They're the ones that kind of gel everything. They're the grand gotcha. central station, usually for all services. They okay. coordinate everything and they open up doors for us and they also block us in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but they're a necessary evil in a lot of ways. And there's been a lot of controversy over their leadership in the press. You can, you can just like look at some <laughs> recent stories. They've had some turnover. It's very much a political organization in yeah. a lot of ways. I know people there that do amazing work. Like mm. I really like a hundred, like with the whole tiny homes thing, like they were great to work with. Mm. Like it was incredible. Um, and for a lot of other stuff, there's, there's a lot of, problem solving cases that I can bring to them uh -huh. in, a, in a lot of ways in a clinical sense. And then, you know, there's times where I get blocked on a lot of things because my priorities aren't necessarily their priorities. Yeah. Um, now there is something, basically there's a metric that of, of a questionnaire that we give folks on the street. Right. And essentially without going into too much detail, it measures their trauma and their risk hmm. and it assigns a number, Right. That is yeah, the yeah. reality of the situation. <laughs> That's our world so, and statistics. Yeah, yeah, you can imagine I, you know, how I might get creative with this and, <laughs> you know, that would enable folks to open up more doors for them. Gotcha. But essentially, it is a useful metric in some ways mm. because in a very fast, essential way, it measures, okay, your institutions, how recently you've been in the hospital, yeah. are you pregnant, blah, blah, blah. And then that number is you know prioritized yeah, it's in still a, a triage it's not exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly it's it's a triage you know uh metric oh i'm not talking to the microphone oh, apologies <laughs> um it shows you how many times i do these podcasts um so um so there's that so that is another way that people are prioritized right um but you know i'll always advocate i'll even say like hey i would love to get this person in because of a b and c mm. right and I communicate that to some of the case managers on site, some of the, some of the uh, housing navigators on site. And if somebody's, you know, not meeting their goals, like, you know, they have to have a conversation. They have to have a meeting with them. They're like, listen, you're telling us what your goal is, right? We want to unblock you on that. And then you're preventing us from unblocking you by this behavior a month later or something like that, Gotcha. which is just addressed and in a really clinical sense. Yeah. Um, so that was a long way of saying, it's an art form, yeah. right? To you, basically, like I'm thinking not only about stabilization for some folks um, who would benefit in that way, but also folks that would benefit from 
just very short term. And I know that they would get into this other level of housing right after that, or even get a job or get out of there. Because let's say I get them out of there, I can get, you know, uh, whatever, somebody with an autoimmune disorder mm. and um, co-occurring substance use issues yeah, yeah. that can get stabilized and get proper uh, services for their uh, disorders. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's an art form. Gotcha. Just just like counseling, yeah, just yeah. like therapy. You know, anybody that says mm. they know exactly how to yeah. do therapy or like they're all full of shit. Yeah. Well, like, pe- every person is different. So uh, trying to, I, yeah. Oh my God. It's, you know, it's not a science. Yeah. It really isn't. You have to use your best judgment. And, mm. you know, I like to think I have pretty good judgment. Um, I know I have not made, you know, but I've, I've messed up. I've yeah. made bad judgment calls with, with clients and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Mm. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, same as you, if you're an EMT, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you don't get it right. Yeah. Um, and same as teaching. I've crushed some children. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you know, you do the best you can with what you got, but yeah. the, the community, again, getting back to the neighbors, which is like the scourge of my profession. Um, all they do is get in the way. Um, uh, because they complain to the council district, the council district then trickles that down to service to you know homeless services right because mm-hmm. everybody's just reacting to each other yeah and nobody's having accountability for themselves right, you right. have all you it's so funny because you have all these agencies you have so many people that you can pass the blame off to sure, on all yeah. these issues um and everyone's just complaining about the, oh my the God. problems and not addressing the, the actual it's, causes it's so funny it's not chronic mm. it's it's not a chronic issue but every once in a while there's like some issue with one client and I I will see like almost a relay race of people passing the blame onto somebody else. Right. right? Um, So that happens every once in a while, but yeah, it's just, it's so funny sometimes. Well, let me ask, are any of these communities or how many maybe are uh, focused on more of a um, like, communal sense of personal responsibility mm. almost like a you know hippie commune situation some some okay. not um in my experience not a majority okay um i think it depends on what area you go to i think mm. if you go to venice okay from what a lot of the folks the outreach folks that i talk to in venice there is very much a sense of community and a lot of the guys there okay um i don't know how accurate that is that's reported to me um yeah, I can't remember the last time I was in Venice. Gotcha. But and then you have a different social dynamic, you know, on Skid Row than you would have in the Valley. Sure. Separately, you have a dynamic in Burbank, which is does. If, are there homeless people in Burbank? It, you, you, exactly. You know, <laughs> they are. I, I have I have clients that just get like they just tell me I get run out of Burbank. Yeah. I, um. I, you see them once in a while, and then the cops are there within two minutes and just I, kind of scooting them wherever they go. I don't, I don't know. know anyone in Burbank. I don't know. You know, yeah. uh, anybody on the police force or in the council over there or anything. So I can't speak to that. Yeah. All I can tell you is what people are reporting to me. And it's almost comical how like wh- one person just told me like they could not have gotten me out of Burbank fast enough. Wow. It was wild. Um, but yeah, so every community is different. You know, Hollywood's different than South Central, you know, Long Beach. So, you know, everybody's different. I think here in the Valley, what I see is. You, you have a lot of opportunities for safety here mm. because there you know, you can be a little bit more spread out, yeah. right? And in a lot of the basins, right, um, you're able to have a little community there. Yeah. And then what, you know, but the thing is, 
I, you have to kind of hike to get mm-hmm. to a lot of folks. Once you're there, you can provide a gold mine of services because gotcha. a lot of folks there haven't been touched, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas you go into you go into Hollywood, like you're just walking into one encampment after another. How far into the canyons are these communities? So they're um, it. Well, it ranges. So you have the Sepulveda Basin, which is probably one of the uh, outside of Skid Row is, you know, one of the largest in L.A. County. Gotcha. Right. The Sepulveda Basin. I don't work the Sepulveda Basin. One okay. of my colleagues does. And they work miracles there. They're incredible. Hmm. Um, and then if you go north of here, right, um, along San Fernando Road, you have a long um, line of communities hmm. along San Fernando Road. Now. There's a good thing and a bad thing about that. Bad thing is you're not near grocery stores or supportive services. Um, the uh, you know, but the plus side is <laughs> you're you're away from a lot of the yeah, yeah. again from the neighbors, mm. right? A lot of the neighbors that are uh, starting fires in encampments. A lot of the neighbors that are screaming at the police to get them out of there. Now that's something I I. Yeah. I, I I have heard of, you know, encampment fires and things Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. Um, until you just said it. It never occurred to me that it might be the NIMBY people that might be pushing some of that. I'm dealing with one uh, six block radius now that it's not one encampment, but it's like five mini encampments in a six block radius. Mm -hmm. Right. So everybody kind of knows each other, but they kind of keep, you know, um, uh, there is a group of people in the neighborhood that are going in trashing people's tents um beating them up uh nobody can get a description on these folks hmm. right the cop you know yeah, uh, yeah. i actually have a pretty good relationship with the local pd at this precinct um they're a little bit more trauma informed hmm. um but i mean even the best you know uh, police officers i mean how can they how can they investigate this it's yeah. just you it's just a run by attacking hmm. um yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, there was there was a recent fire at one of my encampments. Um, people, you know, suspect it was somebody else in the community. Um, nobody really knows. Um, they get victimized a lot. Yeah. Um, all the time, and it's like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Like that, they have me. I'm a okay advocate. The city attorney is has been very good hmm. in um, advocating for a lot of our folks, which is shocking. Yeah. Um, but I can't believe how many great phone calls I have with the city attorney. Hmm. Um, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, the city attorney is weirdly trauma informed, uh, which is surprising to me. So I can go to them with a lot. And the, the local precinct um, has a lot of good guys on hmm. their staff that have been, um, you know, uh, are in the community, they know a lot of the guys. They might have different, you know, because their priority in the LAPD is to the community. I could not care less about the community, right unfortunately. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but that's my job. Yeah. Like my job is folks on the street. Totally. The cops are like in a in a weirdly bad position because they have to like be mindful of the rest of the community, but also be mindful that the folks on the street are also part of the community. Yeah. That's what, something else nobody really recognizes. But also, I just heard a wild story about some rogue cop on the other side of town that is like harassing folks all the hmm. time. I don't know how accurate that is, yeah. uh, but if it's from Certainly another, believable. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you're going to have a bad apple, but, um, but yeah. So, so there are attacks. I mean, they're just not reported. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's shocking. Uh, something you touched on earlier, and uh, f- uh, listeners of the show will probably be aware of my feelings on the situation, mm-hmm. but um, uh, the whole concept of what happened with Reagan and yeah. uh, the the closing of the, the mental facilities mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, do you, where where do you think we should go with that? Should we reverse all of that? Should we reopen our mental facilities? Should we force people that are mentally incapable into these facilities? Like that's a great. So here's what people don't know. Okay. So I deal with this a lot. You know, obviously we've all seen folks on the street screaming and unmanageable behavior. Um, That, that happens quite often, Mm. right? It's not very common, but I've encountered them. Now, just driving around, you see it. Exactly. When somebody's gravely disabled, there's a few interventions, right? Um, A few effective interventions. Mm. Um, You know, for instance, um, there is a referral, right, to DMH. By the way, DMH gets a ton of funding through the county. What's DMH? Oh, Department of Mental Health. Okay, gotcha. Right. So the the County Department of Mental Health, um, which has opened up so many doors for me as far as solutions go, Mm. right? So I've had situations where um, Department of Mental Health is able to coordinate psychiatry appointments on the street with participants, Hmm. right? Which is incredible. I have people, and they just call in a prescription for, you know, for their diagnosis. If if I'm sitting down with a clinical psychiatrist and they diagnose me with uh, bipolar disorder, they can call in a mood stabilizer Hmm. or whatever to the local Walgreens. I walk my client in there and pick it up. And then after a few weeks, they start getting stabilized. And then, you know, we're working on other goals. And yeah. they're like, you know, I'm thinking about stopping meth, right? <laughs> and I'm like, great. Um, you know, right on. you're, you're going to get less done when you're off of meth. But still. Um, <laughs> There's no, pluses and minuses. <laughs> that's a horrible thing to joke about. My God. <laughs> listen, yeah. listen, you're not going to get anything done. <laughs> I don't know. I used to work with some meth head plumbers and they were pretty fast. Yeah, they sucked, you, but they, they were fast. <laughs> you want you want to hear something funny? This is this is definitely outside of homeless services uh, conversation. This is really funny. So I when I was counseling, I would do presentations with like housing navigation staff and everything, mm. right? And <laughs> Because they're just, you know, they would pick my brain on all this stuff. Like, yeah. hey, I got somebody that I think is still abusing drugs, but I don't know, blah, blah, blah. What's the intervention? You know, and I can't train these people clinically. That's yeah, illegal. Yeah. But all I can do is just kind of inform them through my perspective. So then I get to meth in part of the presentation, right? I go through alcohol, like opioids, like blah, blah, blah. And then I get to meth. And there, there's actual studies on why folks that are on meth love tinkering <laughs> with engines and plumbing mm. and you know and all that stuff they, there's still like it there is something in the brain chemistry that is causing this that there have been studies it's huh. hilarious you can go on scholar.google.com and i think you can actually search for meth motor you know something like that because like even in um you know uh uh housing facilities They'll have like RAs come around and one of them showed me the engine parts that are in <laughs> and torches that are in some of them. Uh-huh. And I told the people at this presentation, I go, you know, a lot of engine parts, a lot of lawnmower engines, a mm. lot of, um, you know, a lot of mechanics in the <laughs> San Fernando Valley that have stable jobs use meth. Yeah. Um, and I said to them, I'm like, 
your mechanic <laughs> or somebody that works with your mechanic is probably using meth. And I just saw all these people in the audience, mm-hmm. like they're like their gears were turning and they're like, oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, so there's that. Yeah. Um, so that's meth. Um, yeah. yeah. I was asking about the uh, the mental facilities yeah. though. Where do you think so, we're going? So here's the deal with that. Um, there aren't any like real, um, how do I put this? So the intervention, basically, for a lot of folks on the street. Well, so let's start with gravely disabled. Okay. okay, let's start there. We're talking mentally. Yeah, mentally gravely yeah. disabled. Word salad cannot uh, perform their daily living hygiene. Right they're on. soiling themselves. They're screaming at people. Completely unmanageable. Gra- yeah. Gravely disabled is what you're uh, what you're doing. Right. right? So, um, this is this is a hypothetical, right? I mean, I shouldn't say hypothetical. This is just like a case study, yeah, yeah. right? In general. So I would do. I'm observing this. I can observe behavior, right? I am a certified counselor. I'm not processing trauma or emotions. I'm observing behavior and reporting that. So I do a referral to like uh, homeless services, um, like kind of an emergency referral through Department of Mental Health, right? Okay. So either the Department of Mental Health or a mental health um, programming, right? That will that is connected with DMH, right? Will contact me within a within a week at least. At the I shouldn't say at the least. At the most, will contact me in a week and say, "Hey, what's the deal? We want to have a coordinator come out, meet this person, kind of assess them really quick. They'll get a clinical person out. Clinical person will make an assessment." And then, like, then the process starts, right? So we can get uh, a clinician out there very quickly and mm-hmm. administer. So if it's somebody that's gravely disabled, schizophrenia is likely in the mix in a lot of ways. Then um, a common medical solution to that uh, intervention for that is Abilify, right? And Abilify is a medication that has been shown to you know be a good stabilizer for folks that are that have schizophrenia, right? right? But again, I'm not a doctor. I can never tell somebody. Yeah, yeah, you need to be met ever. That is so illegal for yeah. me to even broach that. Right <laughs> you know, um, so you can't even suggest medication. They might want to look into medication. No, usually, usually the way that I engage it, just to kind of sidetrack really quick. So if I'm talking to somebody and they're saying like, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I want to reconnect with, you know, mental health," I'm like, "So what are you thinking? Were you on medication? Was it helpful to you? Mm. Would you want to be engaged?" I can ask them that. Okay. Is that something you would want me to like try to coordinate for you? Gotcha. But I'll never say you got to check out Depakote. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right Here's on. the deal, man. Yeah. Um. No, never. Yeah, like yeah. I can, you know, I'm not trained for that. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> You know, also you have clinicians for 30 years that don't always get the prescription. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that know, is a guess and check system. 100%. That is, yeah. Anybody that tells you they know what they're doing, like, yeah. is, is so full of shit. Um, again, art form. Yeah. So, anyway, so in a situation like that, um, there's, there's a couple things that can happen, right? You either keep them at their encampment if they're showing signs of improving because you're talking about a different level of care. Mm. So, let's say I have somebody that's being stabilized off the medication and in-field therapy sessions. Like mm. a licensed therapist might even come out, talk with them, have a have a session with them, and they're improving yeah. on the street. So you're talking about, you know, getting the person into, again, a permanent supportive housing type situation, right? right? So if they're improving, but they're still in a, you know, kind of a gray area as yeah. far as efficacy goes, they might qualify for permanent supportive housing, right? But then, of course, anything can happen yeah. when they're in that apartment, right? They could slip, uh, you know, with their medication. Something can get messed up. 
they have supportive staff on site. Supportive staff reaches, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, but then you might have somebody that's gravely disabled, screaming at the top of their lungs. But if they don't consent to any services or yeah. at least have a shred of efficacy, that that turns into a totally different intervention. Yeah, yeah. right. Where from a legal perspective, fr- from a legal perspective, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, um, from your personal perspective, yeah. what? Do you think we should be able to intervene? Like, should is is like yeah. should right. we go back to the one flew over the cuckoo's nest system of like you know in curse or institutional mental? I, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. There, there is a version of that that is um, it's like kind of a shared housing type situation that has more of what you're speaking of, mm. right? And folks might qualify for that even if they have like moderate. But still not forced health. or like yeah, I mean, locked no, doors. No, no, there is there is like curfews. You can't come in and out. Okay. Um, it like my partner is on the street who is an amazing human being. And I love working with this person. They're incredible. They're the mental health professional. There, gotcha. Right. And I broach questions like yeah. this to them. And I ask them, I'm like, what do you think about a conservatorship? What do yeah. you think about their And they tell me they're like. They it has to be the most extreme case to right ethically have yeah. somebody, you know, because you can have somebody screaming on the street. It's not illegal to scream on the street, yeah. you know, but we've na- all done it. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I, did it, I did it right before I came over here. Um, but neighbors think they have to do something yeah, yeah. if somebody's screaming on the street. And I and I always confront neighbors about this. I go, so they were screaming on the street. And then what happened? And they're like, well, they were screaming. And yeah. I go, and you felt like you were in danger. And they said, no, but they have to do this. And I go, why? They're a human being. They can. It's not illegal to have mental illness. It's yeah. not illegal to be screaming on the street. Just deal with it. I'm yeah. sorry. That sucks. And But my children, what does your children have to do with it? Like, why? how are your children affected by somebody screaming on the street? Like, I don't understand... Like people say that to me and, you know, kids are going to see things all the time. They're mm. going to affect them differently. You don't know how that's going to affect a child. Um, if somebody's just screaming word salad that I don't understand. I never understood because we get <laughs> referrals from neighbors as well. There's something called LA hops, right? Mm. Which is arguably one of the most hilarious things you could ever read because it is a data. It is. Basically, if you're a neighbor, you go onto this website and you give a referral. Hey, this person's smoking meth behind my um, uh, behind my apartment complex, right in the alley. Uh, I talked to them and they said that they would love to talk to somebody from outreach. That is a totally reasonable referral to put in. And then myself or another outreach worker, it gets filtered down to agencies and they give us an address. That's totally reasonable, mm. right? Then you have other ones that the description literally says, black man screaming on the corner, help. They need they need help. Mm. And I'm like, what is this person talking about? And then I get out there and I and one out of 10 times I might actually find this person. And then I say hi. And they're like, go away. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's the end of that intervention. People think. You know, they use the word should, they use the word have to in these conversations. And it's like, you work in finance, you're not able to make that decision, right? If you're a neighbor and you see somebody on the street and they're in a crisis and you ask them if they want services, 
when they say yes, that's total, that's a completely reasonable. Yeah. Um, but when people say we got to do something about mental health, and then you ask somebody that works in finance, okay, so based on your, you know, years of experience in mental health, what do you think the intervention should be? Yeah. I'm not coming at you about stock options, right? So. Yeah. Well, I I, I would. Just to push back a little bit on yeah. that, I I would think a lot of that stems from, uh, well, first off, there, there's a few things. Uh, you know, the fact that LA is not a um, a, a roots community; it right. is a place for transients to come, yeah, make their money, so. and then leave. Very much so. So, yeah. you know, I think like people like me and you that grew up in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very sort of white bread, picturesque, sure. middle to upper middle class yeah. neighborhoods that like. I don't ever remember seeing a homeless person growing up. You know, yeah. if you looked hard enough, you might have seen one at the park bench or yeah, something but in like the city. that. Yeah, it, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, in the neighborhood that we were. In the immediate grew, neighborhood. Yeah, no, that we no, were no, growing no. up in. Yeah. And I think a lot of these 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 NIMBY people, these neighbors that right. you're talking about are, you know, people that grew up like us, sure. never seeing homeless people. Mm-hmm. And now they're, you know, they're living in LA and they have kids and they're afraid to send them to the park 100%. because someone is screaming on the street and they expect LA to be that, yeah. you know, Midwestern suburban town. I, I can completely empathize with that. Mm. It is, it is a natural instinct to want to control your environment. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is, it it's is human. <laughs> it, it, it's very human. And, but from a recovery standpoint, from like the principle, and I'm coming in it as a substance abuse counselor. Uh, yeah, obviously. Because when I have somebody that is addicted to drugs or alcohol, and I hear them wanting to control their environment, that is the opposite behavior. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm using all of my counseling skills to turn them around to acceptance, mm-hmm. right? So acceptance is the answer to a lot of our problems, <laughs> right? And at, at least it is for me. I, I was very much a manic, depressive completely incongruent person, um, aggressive, um, self-centered, self-will. And once I started just letting acceptance into my life Mm. and like, I just accept everybody. (laughs) I mean, even the neighbors, like I of course empathize with them. I think it's just kind of funny to rant about them because they're the biggest blocker in my job and they think that they're doing good stuff. Right. Right. And it's it's essentially hypocritical and working against themselves. It's exhausting. It's like dealing with a Stairmaster, (laughs) dealing with the neighbors. Seriously. (laughs) It is exhausting trying to explain things to a neighbor that is like, I've had so many neighbors scream at me, Mm. like literally on the street. Like I am single-handedly responsible for- They just expect you to sweep everyone off the street. Just do it. I, I have 200 clients out of the 1,700 in the zone that I cover, right, on. right? My bosses are constantly telling me I need to take on less clients, <laughs> okay? My phone, the last two weeks has been just, uh, I don't know why, just probably the most chaotic, just mm. for whatever reason. Right and my phone has been ringing off the hook. Like, my phone has not stopped ringing <laughs> for at least 10 business days. Um <laughs> So, but I, I hear what you're saying 100%. I completely empathize with the neighbors. But I mean, the, the problem is they're not empathizing with yeah. not only the folks on the street, but with homeless services workers, yeah. right? They think we're all in it for the, like, I'm out here, you know, making 100K a year, <laughs> like like getting dope addicts into rehab. Yeah. Like, who, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, you know, and, and they're saying like, 
if they're thinking, oh, as long if I yell at this person enough, they're going to help more homeless folks. Yeah. There is also something just cathartic about unloading on someone <laughs> yeah, that you... <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. 100%. I've been on the line with Spectrum. I, mm. I totally understand that. I, you know, I, I, can, I can totally empathize with yeah, that. Yeah. 100%. I... Um, but it it really from my perspective yeah. as a counselor like i'm always trying to get somebody trying to control their environment to come around to acceptance right, right? and try to think of some creative way to have a positive solution right, right? um so when i have a neighbor you know uh, you know uh, saying like this neighborhood has to be the exactly the way that i expect it to be i laugh and like i don't actually laugh in their face i internally laugh in their face <laughs> um so yeah, so yeah. It's a little bit. I'm probably talking about neighbors too much. Yeah, right. No, you know? I mean, it's it is a big part of the problem, and you know, part of the the issue with homelessness is the fact that it affects the people around them. Yeah. If you know, if neighborhoods weren't in a economic decline because right. of homelessness, yeah. there's a good chance we might not do anything. Like if they 100%. just stuck to the canyons like they used to and yeah. we never saw them, sure. that would be you know a, a, a problem that would probably just exacerbate itself even more. In, in the neighbor's defense, there was, this recently happened to me a couple months ago, you know, the LA hops calls, right? So whenever we get one of those, I kind of have to like respond to them in 72 hours, mm. right? Um, it's just expected of, mm. of outreach workers, right? And we're, we're driving around and I go to this one neighborhood and it was very vague. It was a very vague intervention. It was just like the neighbor saying, you know, somebody's out in the, in the alley, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I go into the area and I'll talk to anybody. I don't care. I'll just, you know, (laughs) I just say my name and my agency. I go, Hey, what's the deal? What have you guys seen around here? Blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And then (laughs) neighbors are either over-reporting or under-reporting because in this neighborhood, they're like, yeah, we've had some folks around here. They've been like breaking into our yards a lot and like swimming in our pools. I go, oh, oh my god, <laughs> like, that is. I I wish somebody would have said that. That's a little uh, beyond screaming. I would love to meet this person that's breaking into your yards and try to offer them something. I'm like, have you called the police? Yeah, but they can never find them. And and <laughs> I was like, I was almost laughing. I'm like, and I gave them my number and mm. i go please call me like <laughs> if you see this person again just so i can talk with them yeah yeah not that i'm going to i have a goal of preventing them right, from breaking right. in your house but I, if somebody's breaking in your house they want something yeah yeah uh, so maybe I can help them unblock that. Anyway, uh, that's just the other side <laughs> of it. You know, neighbors under report uh, as well. So um so yeah. Um, yeah. So where do you see the the sort of future of this going? Like if you could if you could change anything or is there oh, any wow. sort of system that you think we need to try or is there any sort of wow. like um you know theory that's been put out that you know might actually mm-hmm. be able to have some sort of you know like the 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 tiny houses that was something yeah. that was thrown around a lot but seemed impossible in LA until it was actually yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, are there any other of those like innovative solutions that you're Man. That you're hoping for or crossing your fingers for? Man, I got to tell you, that's a great question. And it's it's unfortunate how little I think about that mm. uh, because of how much I'm- Just under the mountain of I'm, what you have to do? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, also, I I laser focus mm. on the people, right? right? I, I try not to think about- Micro, not macro. Yeah, because the folks that I see burn out and at every level of homeless services, they're the ones that are thinking about- 
the yeah. whole Rubik's Cube. Four-dimensional right? chess. But if I were to, just off the top of my head, I mean, th- there should be 20 of me mm. out on the street. I mean, honestly. there's How w- many are there? Very few. Okay. <laughs> very few. That You'd be shocked how few outreach workers there are. Gotcha. And that is, uh, you know, it's it's so... I shouldn't say it's funny. It's sad because, you know, it kind of goes back to people remodeling their kitchens, mm-hmm. right? So uh, people always want to increase their house's value sure. and then complain about the homeless and equally not pay the taxes on it, yeah. right? That would require funding for these folks. So we also talk about people making money off of homeless services. The only thing I can ever hit pocket assume is the real estate development of it mm. all. I, I cannot imagine anyone... <laughs> Like at our agency, uh, making a lot of money yeah, yeah. in in a lot of ways. Everybody makes a living wage. You know, our CEO and the executive board obviously like they make a higher salary, but it's not like they're one percenters or anything. Yeah, yeah. and I don't mean bikers. I don't know if that's a <laughs> that was kind of a weird way to put it. Um, isn't that weird? That's that a like, Bernie thing, but yeah, yeah that like you know. The outlaws and hell's angels are one percenters, <laughs> but then the rich people are one percenters. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. They got co-opted. They didn't get co-opted. <laughs> the hell's angels should sue all these billionaires. Well, the hell's for... angels are more of a corporation Isn't now that than funny? <laughs> you can go online and buy hell's angels gear. That's totally. hilarious. Also, do people know where you're from on this podcast? Uh, yeah, vaguely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So in the Chicagoland area, the ga- the motorcycle gang are the outlaws, right? <laughs> and who are way more aggressive, um, and are also equally revered, and yeah. it's is so bad. But anyway, so one percenters. So nobody Less had, PR. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so people at this agency, you know, it's not like they're making a ton of money on this. But I would love it if there was more reasonable um, funding to um, staff more folks on the street, Mm. right? We can be more effective. If you have, okay, so in my community that I cover, there's, at the last census, there's 1,700. So it's basically 2,000. You can assume that it's at least 2,000 folks, right? I'm only able to touch a quarter of that, really, reasonably. And I'm really only able to take on, you know, you know, 10% of that number as clients. And even then I'm getting yelled at for taking on that many clients. Are you the only one in your region? So myself and my uh, partner and the, you know, cause we're part of a multidisciplinary team. Right. There's another team that covers like public spaces, mm. you know, and then there's a few other agencies that do outreach. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have county agencies, you have some other nonprofits. We communicate with each other a little bit, but it's dropping the bucket, right, right? And there's always a ton of overlap. It's not like every agency can have a daily morning meeting and strategize who's going to touch which. And yeah, can't, yeah. You can't you can't do it. That's impossible. Um, there's just no time. Uh, all you're doing is reacting to emergencies. Gotcha. Um, you know, if I got a guy with cellulitis that can't even walk versus a guy that's going through alcohol withdrawals, and then a pregnant woman that's having contractions. I mean, holy shit. Yeah, like yeah. that that is, by the way, that was last week. <laughs> I had that issue. Jesus. Like all three of those. That's not it's not an exaggeration. Wow. It's wild. Uh, um, and I have to like make choices like like, yeah. like that. Um, and I wish it weren't like that. Well, um also, um, yeah, it does really boil down to funding in a mm. lot of ways. And unfortunately, at some of the agencies, um, you know, they hire folks that are not that experienced. Um, and in a lot in a lot of ways, 
some of the jobs that should not be entry level are entry level jobs for, you know, like let's say somebody's in graduate school to get their uh, social worker's license, right? And like they're on the first step of a 10 year journey to get their uh, what they call an LCSW, mm. which is a licensed social worker. Okay. And, um, and you have this person, this 26 year old sitting in front of a family of three, uh, a family with three children. Yeah, yeah. You know, that got evicted because of a, you know, landlord. And you have a 26 year old in front of you problem solving. Yeah. Right. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence. Totally. Um, now, that's not to say, you know, uh, my colleagues that are a little on the younger side don't know what they're doing. I yeah. have amazing colleagues that are 10, 15 years younger than me that are yeah, incredible. Just that perception of sitting down with a kid that's going to straighten me out. 100%. Is- and then other agencies will have somebody straight out of college that doesn't have any experience. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, one, having appropriate housing training for some of these agencies. My agency, I am always blown away how effective my agency is. Mm. Like it, it, it always, no matter how many losses um, you have, and it, it is incredible to see like some of the transformations of clients. It really is. Like mm. I, I love the agency I'm at at every level. Even the people that annoy me, right? Um, I know are are yeah, yeah. so effective with their job, and I, I'm an exhausting human being. So <laughs> I know that I'm, you know, uh, not always well liked. Um, so <laughs> talk about Nate, like talking to a stairmaster. Like talking to me <laughs> is like talking to a stairmaster. Um, so anyway, so I would love more funding just for manpower, mm. right? And manpower, just like I was saying before on um, building inspectors, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a weird theory of mine. I don't right. base that on anything. Yeah. And then, you know, more funding specifically for folks out on the street, okay. right? And then specifically more funding for substantive housing training, right? On. right? Um, and then, of course, just anything unblocking construction, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is getting back to the uh, development of it all. Mm-hmm. So those three things. That I, I see that only from my perspective being the most effective thing. Right on. The, the, the thing I see as needing to stop doing in the community is to, quote unquote, attack the problem. Because mm. they're treating it like war on drugs. Right and on. we know how, how yeah, effective yeah. that was from Nixon to Reagan to everything in between, right? Yeah. War on drugs is not just like I was saying, rolling with resistance. Yeah. That's that's what it's all about. It's the same thing with homeless services. A lot of people have the mentality that you have to attack the issue, right? When it's going to have the opposite effect. Yeah, yeah. If you're telling me to get, you need to get into rehab. I am 100% doing the opposite. Absolutely. You know, yeah. if you say I have to get off the street, I think you have an agenda, and mm. I don't trust you. Yeah. Because you are telling me what to do. I am not going to do that. So that mentality has to be chucked out the window. There's a judge right now, Judge Carter, who is incredible and also the biggest problem. Hmm. He, This federal judge, if you Google Judge Carter, this federal judge is really holding homeless services accountable in the best way possible. He's saying, you guys aren't doing your job. You need to do this. You need to do that, right? Unfortunately, he goes one step too far Right where he's micromanaging a lot of the outreach in some of the zones. Gotcha. Not in mine yet. Yeah. Um. I don't care if I get fired if he comes into my zone. Uh, <laughs> I will. I will tell him what to do and what not to do mm. as a counselor. Um. But there's been micro. There's been reports from other agencies and other outreach folks that he's micromanaging the process. He's bringing a reverend out to touch 
people's heads and bless them out on the street and saying, you have to get out of the underpass because it's a health issue with the vapors, right? So there's that. This is the 1800s? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But I do know that that mentality, I think he is an amazing human being. I think he's incredible. And he really holds people's feet to the fire, which you need to do. However, that aggressive mentality goes a little too far when it gets on the street. Because there you have to water dance. You have to roll with resistance, like I said. So that mentality has got to get chucked out the window. Um, It's about fixing individual people, not the whole problem. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I kind of have a housing first mentality, but if somebody's like, I want to get a job first and live in a tent, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to help you get a job. Right on. You know, especially if it helps you in recovery, because that's my focus. I try to always go back to that. Um, So, yeah. Well, if you do see people or lack of people as being a, a big problem, um, if there's people out there that are listening that have time and want to get involved, how would you recommend that someone start to help this problem as just a normal person? So that, and I get so many people ask me that, yeah. like, what do I do? Yeah. What do I do? It just seems so overwhelming. Like, I, it is. It, yeah. it is. It is overwhelming. Um, and it can be shocking. I, you know, I get desensitized by it, yeah. but when, when I step back from it, of course it can be shocking totally. if you see a tent community. I love going into those communities. I love me. You know, <laughs> I want to see what everybody's doing in there. Right. Um, I, I think the best way to do is to not have an agenda, right? Mm. The best starting line for anything is how can I be helpful, mm. right? What can I do, right? Um, second, give them money. If if you have five dollars in your pocket and they're asking you for five dollars, just give it to them. Right. Like, I I don't care if somebody's using it for booze or drugs. It is not up to you to decide what somebody is going to do with the charity you're going to give them. And you don't see that as perpetuating the problem at no, all. No, hands and cash in the hands of the poor. Mm. Right. That is, uh, I, I try to keep things very simple. Right. Yeah. I am not. When you're saying that's going to perpetuate something, you're living under the assumption that they're going to use this for something nefarious. One, it's none of your business whether they're going to use it for something nefarious. If I give $20 to the Red Cross, I'm not going to audit the Red Cross, right? You might should. You yeah. probably should. <laughs> probably should. They probably use it for staplers, yeah. obviously. Like, we all know that, right? But you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah. when you're when you're giving to a charity, you as an individual are not holding their feet to the fire yeah, yeah. about what they're, going to, what they're going to do with your money. Totally. Right? Now, if somebody does use it for booze, just like we were saying, like maybe that person is dealing with sexual trauma. Maybe that person is not ready for recovery yeah, yet. That's the medication they can afford at 100%. the moment. Yeah. And and I would rather deal with 10 guys on meth than one alcoholic. Mm. It, it is the nightmare for me dealing with an alcoholic. Is that just the the harshness of getting oh. them off of it? Or? Oh my God. Yes. That's, that's part of it. Behaviorally. Mm-mm. If I have somebody on meth, they can focus. Mm. Like I can kind of. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, into it for yeah, a I yeah. can I can work with somebody on meth. They're right. you know weirdly motivated. They're engaged with me. Um, they're not at. There's always the myth about people on meth. Like meth is like you'd be surprised how like manageable mm. meth methamphetamines can be. Um, if somebody's on heroin, they're, there's not going to be a ton of massive behavioral issues unless they're kicking, yeah. right? Um, with alcohol, you have somebody interrupting me every 10 seconds, so I can't communicate with them. Two, they're, they can get into a street fight. You can get killed in a street fight. Yeah, like yeah. That's very easy to, yeah. to happen. Um, three, 
they're so disoriented with their environment, they can just walk out on the street and get hit by a bus or mm-hmm. on a train. Worse, that happened recently. Um, and then, just like you said, the medical intervention is huge red flag. If and a big blocker for me getting people into treatment. Um, if you could, so the one thing I would want to change from a recovery level is to open up more medical detox facilities that take Medi-Cal, right? Mm. That is my biggest blocker in getting people into recovery solutions is that. Um, so anyway, so there's that. That's the. Do you have any so, idea what the issue is there? Like is Medicare, Medi-Cal just like oh, not good about paying no, and they don't no, want to deal with it's, them? It's or? medical licensing. Okay. It's, it's, it's Just too many more restrictions in, they have to go through? Inspecting the building. It's like there's so many hoops to, to gotcha. jump through. There's only really nine... Last I checked, there were only nine rehabs that take, that take Medi-Cal that also medically detox, uh, right? And so it could take a week for somebody to get on the way, you know, yeah, yeah. to get in there. So anyway, so there's that. Um, but what can people do, right? So one, don't come into people with an agenda. How can I be helpful? Give them cash. Like if you have a sandwich on you, give them the sand. Obviously, give them the food, mm. right? Um, but then it also gets into pride. I was just at an encampment. I got, I don't get aggressive with neighbors, but I found myself yelling at a neighbor because a guy was giving food out and I'm like, awesome. So just go give food. If you have a bag of food, just go give out some lunches. But then I look across the street and their wife or colleague or whatever is filming them. Yeah. Yeah. And I scream, I can't believe I did this. It was so unprofessional. But I, across the street on the encampment, I scream at this woman. I go, this is not the fucking zoo, okay? Turn your goddamn phone off. Yeah. Um, I'm like, these are my clients. They didn't consent. I got, so, I can't believe I reacted like that. Um, I mean, it's it's appropriate. Oh, like God. The, the, that is, you know, there, I haven't seen it too much lately, but there was definitely a trend of people like going out and trying to, you know, get credit or oh you know, social uh, yeah. karma or whatever for look, trying to, exactly. Look what I'm doing. Wait, yeah. well, you can't see it. this isn't good radio, but I made a the selfie, selfie, uh, selfie, uh, gesture. selfie gesture. I keep yeah. forgetting this is radio <laughs> podcast. Um, what if I just nodded my head to you like the whole time? I do um, that all the time. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, you know, if neighbors aren't screaming at me, they're yeah. filming themselves throwing out socks yeah. to, and I'm like, that person did not consent to be part of your Facebook video. Totally. Just, you know, F off. Like, especially when you're monetizing the video on YouTube. Uh, that's just like. <laughs> oh my God. A hundred percent. You know, maybe next time, maybe next time I see that, I'll be like, listen, let's get a contract going. You give, you give them 10%. Right. Um, But anyway, so that's that's the other thing. What can people do Um, if there's a reasonable intervention to be had? Yes. Just Google L.A.H.O.P.S. Right. Just Google it. It'll take you right to the page. If there's some reasonable intervention where somebody is explicitly telling you, I would like services, I would like somebody to come out to me, put it in. Mm. Right. Um, And feel. Do you know if there's like a national service like that or no? I don't know that. Um, I don't think so because it's it's very much a state and county thing. Homeless services. Um, You know, you go to Indiana. What's Indiana doing for folks on the street? Like nothing. Um, You know, so so there's that. Um, And if people are thinking about starting an agency, I just had this conversation with somebody. Hmm. Somebody had some money, right? And they're like, God, I want to do like, I want to do something. Hmm. And my buddies and I want to. 
have uh oh no it was on a reddit thread i had i got on the front page of reddit by the way oh. like a couple of weeks it was so weird um it was so bizarre uh i'll, I'll talk to you offline about it but it was it was really bizarre that i got on the fr- i was on the front page for like three hours um this post i made so not anyway, even about gamestop no <laughs> how funny would that be uh, the next the next wave is heroin. We should all invest in heroin. That's the next uh, diamond hands. It's funny you say that. The weed stocks have been blowing Isn't up. That wild? <laughs> I actually I actually was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, man, maybe I'll throw some short money in there. Um, so funny. Um, but anyway, but yeah, and the and I was just having the conversation with somebody on that Reddit thread that, hey, me and my buddies, we got some money together. We want to start something. And I told them, do one specific thing, mm. right? So Don't like, try and take on everything. Don't try to take on anything. Like I, one of the best services in the community is the mobile shower service, mm. right? So they go around to like outreach days at churches and community centers and stuff like that. Right they bring the mobile shower. They have a team of four guys. One of them cleans it. One of them signs them up. One of them manages it. So like a honey wagon, basically. Yeah, shower? that's it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And they have like three showers in there. Everybody signs up. You know, it takes a few hours to like get through everybody. You know, uh-huh. if you got like fifty people there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always said if if somebody's got some cash together, they should start a mobile laundry. I'm like, mm. that would be amazing if you had a mobile laundry thing. That wow. would be wild. Um, but yeah, do one specific thing. Um, you can obviously donate. Um, donations are always good. I would, you know, be I I would be choosy about who you give sure. that money to. Any ones you can specifically recommend? No, I can't. Uh, I yeah, mean, yeah, I, totally. uh, ethically, I couldn't. I yeah, cannot. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll give out my Venmo at the at the end of this. Um, <laughs> so I would use. By the way, if I put out my venue, my Venmo, I would use it for lift rides for people to get to rehab. Um, that's actually not a bad plan. Maybe I should do that. That's another thing. Maybe God, set yeah. up a separate one. That would, man. Maybe we should do another podcast where we just pitch like agency <laughs> ideas. Um, so that's a good thing. And I, but really, just like accepting the folks in your community, asking them genuinely how you can be helpful because mm. people have different priorities. They're yeah. human beings. Um, you know, they, they don't always want housing. Mm. Right. And unfortunately that's, that's it. So if you just ask people that, but if you're coming up to somebody with a ham sandwich, you don't know if they're co- They might yeah. not eat pork. Right on. I have, Oh my gosh. I have one client that has, issues with their teeth, mm. right? They can only eat soft foods. These freaking church agencies keep bringing over like like crunchy granola bars and I went up to him one day I go, "Hey, what's going on?" He go, he's like these freaking church people, they keep throwing these, these freaking crunchy granola bars at me. It's driving me crazy. I keep, I just tell them I don't want it. Totally. And they keep throwing them at me. Yeah. Like I need these things. And he's just like, yeah, like feeding animals at the zoo. Oh, this is what you get. Gosh. Yeah. A, a Ralph's gift card is always great. Mm, that's yeah, always that's, a great thing. If, um, if you don't have cash, um, you know, if you just hoard $20 Ralph gift cards and if you just want to spend money on that, yeah. oh my God, you can be Santa Claus with those things. It's the local grocery uh, oh store God, for non LA people. Yeah, for non LA people, it's a local grocery store. It's not a person named Ralph uh, where you get meth from. Although um, it was featured in Big Lebowski, so it was, you should know yes. about it. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, that's about it. I, mm. I, I think it's really just changing the attitude of just acceptance. How can I be helpful? Not have an agenda with folks. Don't make assumptions. 
Um, spend, spend, spend. Like if you really want to do something, and a person might not want socks. Yeah, yeah. Like don't just roll up with an agenda of just giving people things, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I shouldn't say that. More often than not, they will want socks. Uh, socks, baby wipes, um, you know, blankets, especially right now. Space blankets are the best. Mm. Space blankets. If, you want to sp- if anybody wants to spend money on space blankets, they're really? awesome. Yeah, oh my uh, god, they, for sure. They yeah. are great. I just didn't really. Yeah, it's not. Oh. It's I mean, just, I, yeah, size and price and yeah, I guess oh that God. makes a lot of I can, sense. I can carry a bag full of space blankets totally. and it's awesome. Um, I mean, it looks hilarious when you go to an encampment and yeah. everybody's got space blankets. Totally. I mean, it looks so <laughs> funny. I mean, it's just, and everybody knows that. Everybody's like, God, this looks like so, this looks like a NASA, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, project here. <laughs> um, so that's about it. And please don't yell at me while I'm on the street. Um, that's another thing people can do. Right on. And, you know, yeah, oh. that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, for joining us. This yeah. Been, no, uh, I, w- I wish I could illuminate more of the the politics of it all. Uh, the only thing I can really weigh in on on the politics of it all is that the homelessness is a hugely political issue. Mm-hmm. It is a sh- shockingly more political than people realize yeah, yeah. In- internally. A lot of the folks that I shouldn't say a lot of them, a chunk of folks that are at some of these service agencies and especially at the county. They are going for like council district positions, right? Hmm. And I work pretty well with our council district. Um, they have field workers that kind of help me out. They'll they'll text me like super super problematic issues. They're like, you you gotta find this person. This this is they're going bananas, hmm. um, which is fine. I I don't mind doing that. Um, but it's it it is wildly wildly political, and people fight over zones and they'll gerrymander um catchment areas mm. in order to serve their community which is a totally like natural thing to want to do yeah, right yeah. um if you have a catchment area right a zone where folks that are on the street can go into one of the shelters and somebody making the 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 catchment area is gerrymandering it for specific zones uh specific encampments where they know that they're at um, you know, that's, that's kind of reasonable, but also weirdly political. Right. Yeah, yeah. And council districts, um, are, are kind of fighting each other over who should be doing what too. Um, and then of course, like you have to respond to these neighbors and you have to make sound bites for these people. <laughs> and then you have people like me that are telling them to shut up and you have to tell people like me to shut up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, tell people like me, take it easy. Totally. Um, you know, and it, nobody wins. It, like it's. Well, I mean, that's just the the uh, almost the capitalist system of everyone kind of fighting for oh their God. ideal, and yeah. you know, hopefully it all kind of works out in the end. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's funny too because with the whole tiny homes thing, you know, I, I forgot who said it, but it was like, yeah, compromise is uh, ends with nobody being happy. And there were like five agencies involved with this thing. I actually was very happy with it, but um, uh, with the outcome of it. And so I think, someone fucked up. I know, I know seriously. <laughs> and um, and they, I think the county was essentially happy, but there were some folks that you know uh, didn't get the folks that they wanted in. But yeah, yeah. you're talking about well, you know fifty beds or whatever it was, uh, right? Is, yeah. you're, you're talking about dropping the bucket in a yeah. zone with seventeen hundred, two thousand people. Um, but yeah. yeah, that it is shockingly political and every county is has its different politics yeah our uh political dynamics are completely different than the bay area dynamics mm. the bay area has have this whole other 
way that they've been dealing with it. And Newsom is still trying to get on, get the stink off of when he was uh, the mayor mm. um, of San Francisco. I believe he was the mayor of San Francisco, yeah, yeah. right? And I forget what it was. The The only thing that I always hear was that the policies that he enacted on the homelessness in San Francisco in the, the late 2000s was not effective at all. Yeah, yeah. And it actually made things a lot worse. Yeah. Um, that's the most that I really know about. Uh, he's about, about to be recalled now. so <laughs> that, is, that is so funny. I, I, I do not see that going through. I do know that Newsom has turned down the spigot for a lot of money for LA County. So I can only see it through that lens. From um, what I understand from the track record, uh, it's almost guaranteed that if the recall goes on the ballot, that the governor gets recalled. It's almost, yeah. it almost Never happens that they don't get recalled. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. uh, they have enough signatures now. So I, I'm pretty sure he's going to get recalled. Listen, the problem is who's going to replace him. Like he's uh, he's too handsome. Yeah, you know he's got to go. Yeah, that's, um, that, that'll take you down every time. I don't. Whoever gives us more money, that's yeah. really that's really all I care about. Right I mean, honestly, I see, I see Newsom as being an ally at least for LA counties, mm. uh, but I only see it through a very narrow yeah, lens. Totally. Um, I the whole. COVID thing, I can't weigh in on any of that. I I have no opinion yeah. on any of that. Ten years from I'm, now, we might be able to make better assessments. A hundred percent. And and also, I have a completely different COVID experience. Yeah. My job responsibilities have increased, mm. and I've been able to give more services yeah, because yeah. of COVID. Um, so weirdly, I, I I can't. It'd be unethical for me to have an opinion on <laughs> you know, because I'm so. I, I'm not experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that my encampments have had COVID outbreaks. I have gotten people into quarantine. Mm. I'm on the street. I'm seeing it. Um, uh, luckily, I haven't had any fatalities. Yeah. And even better, the health department, the health department is probably my greatest ally in mm. my job. The health department has been incredible. And the health department team that I'm with in the field is equally amazing. They are like Marines when there is, when we hear about a COVID, a positive COVID test, they are swooping in wow. like Marines. And I'm talking like, like people that were ER nurses for 20 years, like complete badasses that hmm. I'm like, I have to just get out of their way and let them do their job, like, gotcha. you know? Um, and they let me do my job. They're just like, Hey, this guy wants to get clean. And then they walk away and I'm like, okay. <laughs> has the, has the COVID, um, I, I guess been uh, as harsh to the the homeless community. Like, I guess my perception is that you know they it, it's it, the homeless people seem to be you know not necessarily immune to COVID, but mm. not as affected as say maybe the uh, the nursing home community. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, they are not nearly as far as I see it. Uh, they are not nearly as affected. I mean, when you're when you're in a nursing home facility, you're in a hot box. Yeah, you're yeah. you're you're all cooped up. And just like we were talking about before, you know, a lot of folks don't want to go into the shelters. Yeah. Because you know they're afraid of another outbreak. Um, but when this whole thing started, it was a rich person disease. Yeah. You know? So living so we outdoors were, is yeah. You know, weirdly, there was a little bit of Schadenfreude. How do you pronounce Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Uh, <laughs> about that in a very morbid way. I mean, mm-hmm. I I you know in the first the few boomer months, remover. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. oh my God, that the footage of the Bel Air farmers market was—I yeah. I mean, I, I was—it was shocking. <laughs> I, I'm just like, that was back in May or something. Yeah. And uh, for those that uh, from aren't from LA, the local news ran all this footage of the Bel Air <laughs> farmers market and just all these people in Ralph Lauren just raw dogging it with no masks, <laughs> getting avocados. Uh, it was just hilarious. Um, 
But yeah, for the first six months, our folks on the street really weren't affected by it, mm. but our services were able to increase. Gotcha. Um, and we were hyper vigilant about it. And of course, over the last this last surge throughout November, December, January, um, you know, they, obviously we've had a ton of positives. It's gone a lot. Worse, yeah, it's gone really. a lot worse. Um, and then, but this past few weeks, actually, it's gotten a little bit more manageable. Mm. Um, now, on the other side of it, this, what's really interesting is that if we get somebody into quarantine that either has COVID or at least has COVID symptoms uh, and has like COPD and like another co-occurring condition, um, and they get into quarantine, which is basically we get them into a motel for 10 days or so, mm. then, you know, you have a team there that's trying to place them into housing. Right on. Right. So there's also this weird silver lining there too. Mm. So the whole thing with Newsom and closing down the businesses and and all of that, I, I'm not an economic expert. <laughs> I, I can't, I don't have a mom and pop shop. Yeah. Um, I, I do see more places closing. I don't really see a lot of folks on the street yet that have been, that has disclosed to me that they've been displaced because of um, the economic impact of COVID. Yeah. I do know that some folks on the street have been getting the stimulus check. Uh, so I actually just had to give somebody the stimulus check the other day. Um, and then other people are asking me, why haven't they gotten a stimulus check? And I go, have you, did you file taxes last year? And they're like, no. <laughs> what are I taxes? Go, well, there's yeah. no baseline. There's no yeah. baseline to know if you get a stimulus check. Totally. Um, from what I understand. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, uh, oh, that's a whole stupid system in and of itself. That's pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. Right on. Yeah. Any uh, last thoughts you want to leave our uh, our listeners with? No, I, I I love talking about this. I really love my job. Um, please the, don't fire me. <laughs> the yeah, oh my god, please! I'm not getting fired. Oh my god. Yeah, there's they no one else that wants. <laughs> god. Well, no, that's the other thing too. Is that. It's 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 a weird job because you get a lot of people applying for it. Mm. There's a huge washout oh, yeah, yeah. period, right? Yeah. Especially when you get a knife pulled on you. Totally. Some sometimes that happened to me in my first two months, and I'm mm. like, ooh. <laughs> um that's that's the noise I made. Yeah. Um because <laughs> you <laughs> there is a living wage, there are good benefits. My supervisor you're in a cl- you're on a clinical team. People yeah, yeah. know what they're doing, right at, at least at our agency. Um, but I've had <laughs> like when, before I got my new partner, they were in, they must've gone through two months worth of interviews mm. and all these people that were totally qualified. And then, you know, I don't know if they saw the neighborhood or what, but then they back out at the last gotcha. minute. I don't, oh my God. I kept getting sandbagged with like no <laughs> partner. I, I was like the orphan for so long. <laughs> I had to keep cobbling up partners to go out with me because we're really not supposed to go out alone. Right. right? So, but Makes I kept, go, but I kept going out alone anyway yeah. and they kept yelling at me. <laughs> so, um, so I, I feel like my job is, is secure. Right I feel on. like, I feel like I am effective. I feel like, um, I I think I'm effective because I focus on one specific thing. Yeah. And I think I'm also effective because I say I don't know. Mm. When when I really don't know something, when somebody's asking me about SSI, social security benefits, I'm like, I, I don't know. If it doesn't have anything to do with drugs and alcohol, I'm not very uh versed. I'll find out though. Yeah. Um and I, I don't think people say I don't know enough. I think that's another big issue with this job. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I, I really do love my job. I, I, it, working at this agency affords me to do what I really want to do, right? I'm not a company man. I'm not a anything like that. I just, it gives me the opportunity to do this, yeah. you know? Um, and that's it. 
you know? Uh So that's about it. And I love, you know, and I, I love talking about it and trying to, uh, at least give people my perspective on it. Cause these town hall meetings are like (laughs) just a buzzsaw. I I have colleagues. I would never go to one of these things, Mm. but I have colleagues that go into these things and they, they just get put through the shredder. It's just (laughs) so bad. It's, oh my gosh. If you Google, Another thing, like if you just look online, if you're in LA County at the local neighborhood council that they film mm. and if the homelessness comes up, oh yeah. my God, it is so painful <laughs> and cringy to watch. It is so bad. I just assume everyone turns into Pat Oswalt oh, in that uh, yeah. uh, Parks and Rec yes. clip. <laughs> yes, that's exactly, that is 100% what happens. Um Oh my God. It's so, it's so bad. Um, but that's about it. I really appreciate you having me on. It's also just a really good excuse to talk to you Indeed. in general. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, I wish I would have been able to illuminate the politics of it all a little bit more, but you know, we're, again, we're only politinkering here. We, yeah, we touch right, on the politics. Right, exactly. It's, uh, not a, not a requirement, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you coming out and, uh, yeah. thanks for spending the time with us. Yeah. Have me on anytime for anything. Definitely. For sure. Politicians keep politicking Before you turn to excessive drinking Spend some time collectively Politinkering with the show Where I don't know man Cause the truth is I don't know man I just I don't know man sure to check out all the shows on the Fawcast Network. Hopefully we'll be uh, putting out some newer episodes soon. Uh, we've got Politinkering that you've just listened to, Going Down on South Park, Text Before Calling, Literally Literary, and Celluloid Breakdown are the shows that are possibly currently being made. Um, yeah, check us out on the Twitters and the, uh, the uh, well, that's about it. You can email us at politinkering at gmail. Um, yeah, let us know what you think. And if you have any questions, uh, maybe we'll uh, bring our anonymous guest back for a uh, review. Uh, thanks for joining us and uh, yeah, piss off. <laughs>